I remember that around 2013, everyone was talking about CRM 2.0, what CRM company would displace Salesforce. Salesforce was clunky, implementation took forever, and it never really ended. It seemed like only a matter of time before Salesforce would be forced to pass the torch to a hot new CRM company. As it turns out, Salesforce is here to stay. They've been an incredibly successful company. When you go to hire your first VP of sales, they'll very likely tell you that Salesforce is their tool of choice. But people still love to complain about Salesforce. They've been successful in spite of the continued cost of implementation and maintenance. So how can you use Salesforce but reduce the cost of ownership? In this post, Taylor Lint, the CEO and founder at Swantide, shares the best practices for setting up and maintaining your CRM. We discussed how should you set up your CRM early on so that you don't accumulate a ton of tech debt? What are the costs of switching to a new CRM as you grow? And how can you automate future changes to your CRM so that you're not spending a ton of money on admins and contractors? You can listen to the podcast or else read the lightly edited transcript of the conversation. Let's dive in. Taylor, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about setting up your go-to-market stack, which I know is going to be a topic of interest for a lot of folks in the audience, particularly we have a strong operations contingent in the audience and also a lot of go-to-market leaders. So thank you so much for joining to share your insights. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Um, you know, we think about this every single day. So excited to share with folks um, a lot of the things that we've learned and, and what we're seeing out in the market. So maybe you could just start out by giving us a lay of the land of what your go-to-market stack should look like nowadays. Yeah, so I think it's changed a lot in the last few years. One of the one of the biggest things is, you know, the centralization of all of your data in the data warehouse and go-to-market teams really moving to have that as a single source of truth in addition to all the tools that they've been using for a long time. Like your sales team using a CRM like Salesforce or any of the other CRMs that are on the market. Your marketing team has a marketing automation platform. Your CS team is living out of something like Zendesk or Intercom. Um, and then there's a bunch of other tools that have like kind of point solutions for things like outbound outreach that your sales team might be using or lead routing or data cleaning for any of these tools. And a lot of things that have come up just in the last year or two, like leveraging AI for sales teams or for product-led growth. We've seen a lot of customers buying point solutions for that. So there's really now in the go-to-market tech stack, you'll see teams as early as like a seed or series A company have five or 10 tools. And then it just continues to grow from there. So managing the go-to-market tech stack has become increasingly complicated um, because these tools now all talk to each other as well. Whereas 10 years ago, you know, your sales and marketing team were both using tools, but they maybe didn't, they didn't integrate with each other and you didn't have all of these data management problems across them. What would you say is the role of the CRM now in your go-to-market stack? And how does that compare with how it was five or 10 years ago? For a long time, people always were like, Salesforce is the source of truth. And that's still true. It is the source of truth, but it's the source of truth for the actions that your sales team is are taking. Um, and it's not the source of truth for everything in your go-to-market tech stack. So what we like to tell customers is think about the tool you know, that you're buying, whether it's Salesforce or HubSpot or Marketo, and think about what that tool is really good at. And that's what your team should use it for. They shouldn't use it for everything. Don't try to make every tool do everything and put all of the data everywhere because that's when it becomes really, really hard to manage. 
So if you have the single source of truth being your data warehouse, then you can choose which data the sales team needs and push that into Salesforce. And then the sales team can use Salesforce to keep track of, you know, everything that they're doing offline or filling out information about their opportunities, moving things through the pipeline and have access to product or or marketing data that they need pushed into Salesforce, but not all of the data. Makes a lot of sense. It's really interesting to hear your perspective on particularly how the data warehouse as the source of truth has changed the role of CRM over time. Because as you mentioned, it, you know, it used to be considered the source of truth. I think people have kind of given up on that ultimate vision, even though CRM is still a critical part of the stack. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we've talked to RevOps leaders that, you know, 10 years ago when companies were first starting to push product data into Salesforce and they were pushing everything in there and they were trying to have their sales teams have like real-time view of data that was coming in and it was just too hard to manage and it has all these additional costs. And at the end of the day, the sales team doesn't need or really care about that real-time product data. You have another tool to look at product data. What they need is a snapshot and a summary of the account or they need those product qualified leads coming into Salesforce the same way they need marketing qualified leads coming into Salesforce. But they don't need to be able to drill down and see every single action that every user has taken in your account in Salesforce. In some ways, probably filtering out that unnecessary information makes their job easier because yeah. it helps them focus on the data that actually matters to their job. Exactly, exactly. And then they actually use it rather than being like, okay, this is really slow to load in Salesforce. I'm not going to even look at this tab or page or data because it's it's too overwhelming. You can just give them, you know, okay, what is, if you have a, a usage-based model, you know, what has this company been spending the last few months and give that kind of snapshot or how many users do they have, that sort of thing. What are you noticing in terms of what brand of CRM companies are buying nowadays and how does that vary depending on the size of the company and other factors? So we work right now just with Salesforce. We're going to start supporting HubSpot later this year. And we see a lot of um, early stage companies start on something other than Salesforce. A lot start on HubSpot because it's easy. It's really easy to get started. It's a great tool. Um, And then there's a lot of CRMs that are very vertical focused that folks use. But we oftentimes see people switch to to Salesforce at like this, at least the series A, series B stage, if they've been using one of those, kind of all roads lead to Salesforce. Like you hire a head of sales and oftentimes the first thing they want to do is like, okay, we need to set up Salesforce because it's going to be painful if we wait any longer. And a lot of, there's like a couple forcing function, a couple other forcing functions that we see um, that other tools don't handle really well. And, and really one of them is around integrations, that if you have any of these other tools your sales team likes to use, or you want to leverage any newer tools on the market, some of them don't even integrate with HubSpot. Like their first integration is, is really with Salesforce. And so that can be a forcing function for people to get on Salesforce too. It's really interesting to hear about how entrenched Salesforce is among mid-stage companies and, and above, maybe not the startups as much as leader stage companies, like you said. But in general, you know, Salesforce just feels so ubiquitous. And I'd say like, I'm the first to admit that I would be surprised by that because, you know, back when I was working at Gainsight, there were all sorts of thoughts about Salesforce's usability and like, what's going to be like the next CRM 2.0. But the reality is that they've evolved really well to keep up with customers' needs. Their product usability has improved a lot. What have you noticed in terms of the relevance of Salesforce nowadays? What drew me to this space was everyone complains about Salesforce, right? You talk to sales leaders, marketing leaders, reps, 
you know, sales ops, rev ops, like everybody wants to complain about Salesforce, but it's not a bad tool. It's a great tool and it can do so many things. It's just hard to manage. And of course, it's hard to manage because you're turning all of your complex processes that happen offline. You have to capture that in your tool. Um, And so it's going to be hard to manage. And obviously, you know, there's things that every every tool can do better and there's things that Salesforce could do better, but it's it has to be your CRM has to be complex, just like ERP systems are complex. Um, and what's difficult about it is is managing it and translating those those offline processes into tools. Now, I know you said that at some point when you hire a sales leader, they're going to want to transition to Salesforce. That, I imagine, can be a painful process for a lot of companies. What have you noticed in terms of the switching costs involved in that? Historically, it often is a really painful process. And there's a couple of reasons that it's it's painful. One, like the initial setup of Salesforce itself is is complicated. Like it doesn't work out of the box. You have to you have to invest in in setting it up. So for early stage companies, we've seen kind of there's like a couple attitudes people take. If it's a head of sales that's done it before, they're like, okay, I know I have to do this. I'm either going to pay a consultant. Maybe now you know you can use use Swantide instead, um, or you're going to have to hire someone in house to set it up and admin. Um, but you're going to be spending money on it. You're not going to do it yourself. Or sometimes founders, especially technical founders, will be like, of course I can set this up. Like I'm an engineer. Um, and then they realize that it's pretty complicated to set it up and you need to know what you're doing. And there's a you have to learn how to use the tool in order to set it up. And then they kind of come around to setting it up. So there's setup and then there's ongoing management. Um, and then there's like the administrative tasks related to Salesforce. And so the the ongoing management is really the same as set up like anytime your sales process is changing you have to you have to change your CRM to capture those changes in your offline process and so if you're a fast growing company you're probably changing your process quite often or if you're experimenting at all with your sales process then you have to make those changes in your salesforce and so what we've seen is like the old model of of managing salesforce where you have a consultant on retainer there's a lot of lag time that you want to make a change and you can't do it because it's going to, you know, take so long to, to make that change in Salesforce. And if you have a, if you have a big sales team, like you have, you have to make that change um, in your CRM in order to enforce the process change. So we like to tell people that like thinking about it as setup and like as a one and done activity, that's really not true. You're never done setting up Salesforce. No company is done setting up Salesforce. You're always managing it. And then the admin tasks are kind of, you know, like any tool of, of managing users, but getting permissions right. There's a lot of integrations. Folks are often uploading data a lot and that can be quite painful. And then like managing the data that's actually in your Salesforce. If you have, you know, information coming in off the internet that anyone can fill out a form on your website and it's coming into your CRM, you're going to have messy data. And so you have to have either tools or processes in place to keep that data clean. Now, I know you have a strong perspective on what should be done about these challenges. So I, I know you're a humble person and, you know, you're not going to be the like, first person to brag about what your company does. But I'd love to just hear your thoughts on you know, what are the best practices for tackling these common struggles? And maybe you could talk a little bit about what your product does and how it might help. Swantide is automating the management of the go-to-market tech stack. And we're starting with Salesforce. And we spent the first year of the company, even a little longer, really just trying to understand, um, focused on B2B SaaS companies, like what are people doing in Salesforce and what are they setting up? What's the functionality they need? 
And why is it so painful? Why as like a series B, series C company, are you spending six or sometimes seven figures on your CRM management? Um, and that, or you're like throwing it away and you're starting over with just like a blank slate. That's, that's crazy. Or you're just not getting, you're spending a lot of money on your CRM and you're like also buying all these other tools that you could do that stuff in Salesforce. Um, you're just like not getting ROI on um, your investment in, in your CRM. And as we looked into it, what we realized was that a lot of the issues come from one, what I was just talking about, of thinking about it as like a setup, a, a one and done activity. And also that not investing um, in really getting the building blocks and the foundation and, and the data model right. Um, and that a lot of companies are really trying to do the same thing because there's so many, there's only so many different ways you can run a sales team for a, a B2B SaaS company. And those processes should all be able to work together. And you might not have, you know, you might not have outbound right now, or you might not have any inbound right now, but you want to be able to, to turn on that functionality when your sales team wants to change in that way. Um, and so we've built a product that allows us to configure your sales force for all of the different, all the different ways B2B sales teams want to run using the Salesforce API. And so we deploy these metadata and settings changes into your Salesforce, you, you deploy them yourself actually from the Swantide app um, so that you can, when you make a change to your sales process, you can have it in Salesforce basically instantly um, and you don't have to have any lag time there. And the other thing we've done is really think about um, the fact that these are fast growing companies that are going to be wanting to make changes and you might not, you know, you might not care about um, how long how long it, opportunities are progressing through the pipeline right now. But when you bring in a head of sales or a CRO in six months, they're going to care about that and they're going to want to look at that data. Um, and so making sure that you have tracking turned on in the background so that you can pull those metrics and have that historical view. Um, so we provide a lot of best practices with these configurations as well of just knowing what you're going to need in six, 12, 18 months. That's amazing. So if I'm trying to replicate Airtable sales teams model, like, is that the kind of thing that I might be able to like download? Yeah, exactly. So that's where we want to be long term that like, if you're like, okay, I'm this type of company, we're selling a horizontal tool and it's primarily product-led growth. How have other companies configured their sales force? Like, give me that playbook, turn it on and it's instantly in your sales force. So we're working on having um, some of those playbooks uh, that we'll release in our product. And then the goal is, as we have more and more customers, that'll be extremely data-driven. Have you been able to quantify the cost reduction that you're able to create for your customers as a result of this kind of automation? We have some customers where it's saving them 10 hours a week on what they, like they had, you know, been working with a consultant or an admin that what for whatever reason didn't work out and they switched to Swantide. Um, and they saw that kind of time savings, which is, you know, 40 hours a month. And that's a lot of time. And it's it's stuff, too, that, um, you know, folks, some of the tedious stuff, like the administrative stuff that we handle is, is stuff that people don't want to be doing. Like, you know, when it's really hard. I don't know if you have you ever uploaded data into Salesforce? Unfortunately, not <laughs> myself, but I've had plenty of team members complain about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it's stuff that um, those kind of things that if you've ever done it, you know how painful it is. And you're like, I just want this to be easier. It should be easier. You automate these sort of basic tasks that tons of teams around the world have to do. Exactly. I know you have some thoughts on 
you know, the timing of when people should be investing in their tech stack and for go to market, what types of investments they should make. Can you walk us through, you know, from the early days, what should startups be doing? If you have the budget, starting out with Salesforce can make a lot of sense because you will, you will end up there. Like inevitably you will hire a a CRO that's like, this is, we're going to this. And so it's just a matter of how long you want to wait and how painful the transition is. And I think that the the pain around the transition is really, it's not just the amount of data, but it's also any technical debt that could have been acquired by using that other tool as not just a CRM, but like kind of like doing some marketing or like product emails out of that tool that then you've got, if you're using, you know, HubSpot or something. And if you're like, we've seen a lot of customers where they're using a tool it's not intended to be used that way. And then switching to the CRM is not just switching to a CRM. It's like, okay, we've got to switch to a CRM, but we were also using this as like an outbound tool. And also it's like kind of like product action emails, like product marketing emails. And we were using it as our marketing automation platform. And now we've got to figure out that split. And that's a really painful transition. Any mistakes or other mistakes you've seen teams make that you would advise them against? We have a lot in Salesforce that I think just make it, you know, a really easy thing is just making sure that you're able to have recurring revenue on your opportunities and multiple products on your opportunities. Like it can feel really easy when you're starting to be like, oh, well, we're just selling, you know, our platform and we're going to sell it for 10K a year on an annual contract. But then as soon as you want to start having, um, you know, maybe per seat pricing or you have another tier, now all of a sudden making that change is you have like a big change that you need to make in Salesforce. And you've got to up, you've got to like change all of the like historical data if you want to keep using the same reports and dashboards. And it's now like quite a big headache to make what should have otherwise been like a pretty easy change that probably, um, you know, your product or finance or your founder is like, we, we need to do this ASAP. So it's like really little things like that, or even just turning on some settings in Salesforce for like better managing teams. Like that's something that we see a lot of folks will just, you know, as you hire, you know, maybe you start with AEs and then you start hiring SDRs and sales engineers, and you're just creating a field for each of those on the account and the opportunity rather than using like the reporting structure that Salesforce has to allow multiple team members to be associated with it. And so it's small data things like that, that if you think about it as like an engineer, if you were designing that database, you wouldn't do that because it makes it much harder to pull out the data and use it in in different ways down the line. That's sorry. That's like getting really in the weeds. (laughs) No, actually, that's great. And I love getting into the nitty gritty of what people have to do in order to get this right in terms of setting up their go-to-market stack. Let's say that I'm running a PLG company. I've operated entirely through self-serve up until this point. I have maybe a couple million in revenue and I want to layer on a top-down selling motion, maybe like taking PQLs and converting them into corporate level contracts. What are a few things that are must-haves in terms of what I build into my CRM and my go-to-market tech stack? This is something that when we were actually doing a lot of our market research, we talked to a ton of RevOps and Salesforce admins at companies like LinkedIn and Dropbox and Stripe about how they really shot themselves in the foot the first time around, you know, like when they were first setting up um, their CRMs to support product-led growth. And so what you have to, what you really want to make sure you get right from the very, very beginning 
is having a separation from those product workspaces and those product signups and your account leads and contacts in Salesforce. Um, and so if you want to feed that, you know, directly in to your Salesforce, having a separate object, which is something that um, we have, we have a product and our package supports that for customers of setting that up and then taking care of the relationship um, between those instances or workspaces and accounts, leads and contacts so that you could have, if you're selling a product um, to, you know, LinkedIn, for example, if five different teams at LinkedIn signed up, you'd have five different instances, but still one LinkedIn account in your Salesforce. And so this is really, really important as you start to grow and you want to be able to do territories. Or if you want to be able to say like, you know, it'd be great for a rep to be able to see, um, you know, call LinkedIn, whoever there and say, hey, you've actually got five teams that are on accounts. Let's roll you up to an enterprise plan. Um, and so being able to see all of that in Salesforce and keep that data clean so that when you do want to have more enterprise motion, you don't have some huge data cleanup to do. Taylor, any final tips for sales ops folks who are looking to make a big impact on their go-to-market tech stack? I think the biggest thing I would say is just just like with engineering, um, anything that any decision that you make now, um, you're going to probably be living with for a while. It's that you have the same kind of technical debt that you have in an engineering tech stack in your go-to-market tech stack. It's very hard to make changes once there's data and there's end users. Um, and so just being really thoughtful always about the decisions that that you make, especially at the earliest stages, because you're probably going to be living with them for a while. Great note to end on. Thank you so much, Taylor, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. 